Can I invite you to take your New Testaments and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 together. And I want to say that one of the reasons we direct our attention to the Bible is because we believe that the Bible is the miracle of God, that He has revealed to us His mind through the Scriptures so that we can know our God and know how to follow His will. And that's why... You and I need to be most impressed, not by what a speaker says or how a speaker says it, but whether what is said is coming from the Scriptures. And so that's why with great excitement and purpose, I direct our minds to thinking from God's Word together this morning. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for all of the men who's worked to make all of the electronics work this morning. Thank you for all of that. And what we've been doing as a congregation is been preparing ourselves for adding additional elders. And so over the last few weeks, we've looked into the, what the Bible says about the character that an elder has and the work that an elder does. Now, it's not like this is only for a small group of people. The fact of the matter is that elders do not live a different form of discipleship than the rest of us. Well, the kind of character they have and the kind of work they do, we're all very concerned about and engaged in in ourselves. But they are to do this particular work to help us grow in the ways of Christ to make sure that we are ready for the Lord's return. But today what we're going to consider is an equally important idea. And that is what the Scriptures say about how the church ought to respond to the work of an elder. You know, I have been impressed with how much the Holy Spirit has revealed about elders in the Scripture. I think one reason for this is because God knew that elders would be humble men who would have open hearts to learn and conform themselves to what God wanted them to be. And yet I am equally thrilled that God speaks to the church about how the church should respond to elders. The church is to have a particular attitude and a particular response to elders and their work. And when that happens, where elders are the men they ought to be doing the work they ought to do, and we are the kind of people we ought to be responding to the work that they're doing, the church can truly flourish. We can see this importance, the importance of this relationship between leaders and followers throughout the biblical story. For example, would you think with me about the prophets? Don't you feel sorry for the prophets? I do. Here were guys who were called by God to speak the Word of God and just tried to save people from sin and its consequences. And they worked so hard to do that. And yet most people ignored them. And some people abused them and mistreated them. But just imagine how things could have worked out if God had sent His prophets and the people had the right attitude and responded to their work in the right way. Just imagine the kind of good things that could have happened. God has given His people leaders for our good. Think about, for example, Moses and Joshua. God gave Israel, those leaders for their good, those leaders helped deliver them out of bondage and give them an inheritance. And yet, 
How did most of Israel treat their leaders that God had given them? Most of them ignored them. And a lot of them mistreated them. And they complained about them. They complained to them about every little discomfort they had in their life. The fact is, is that throughout biblical history, God's people have not learned how to respond well to His leaders. And of course, this is not something that's just relegated to the Scriptures. In our own culture, we're not very good at it. I think one of the reasons we have such bad governmental leaders is because we have so few good followers. As people as in this culture, we have learned to criticize and malign and abuse those who lead over us. Of course, this also happens in the workplace. For some people, if they get up a little bit in their job and they get a little kind of responsibility in their job, they become the object of gossip and subversion for everyone. I had a gentleman tell me one day, I said, well, how's it going at work? He says, all right. And I said, well, are you progressing up? And he said, I'm as far as I want to get. He says, I tell you, those managers that get to the next level, they get torn up. And that's not for me. And that happens in our families. We have mothers and fathers who sacrifice and love and give to their children. And some children have been taught not to be grateful and obedient, but to be whining. And the only time that they open their mouth is to gripe and to complain for more. But my friends, God has created His family, His church, to be a distinct, different example from our world and from what we've seen in Israel's relationship to their elders and their leaders. We are to be a people who learn how to rightly respond to the leadership that God Himself has decided to put in the church. He knew that it was good for a church to have godly men to guide them and to instruct them and discipline them. And things work better when that leadership that God has provided is valued and encouraged and strengthened. And so today we're going to consider what the Bible says about how a church should respond to their elders. We're going to begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where your Bible is open. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and notice at the end of this letter, Paul writes to the church saying this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very high in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And then, if you'll look to the screen and read with me, Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. From these passages and a few others, I want to consider this morning what the Bible says a church should do in response to their elders. What I've called five promises followers need to make. Now, I know that in our world, following is not looked upon very, very, uh, you know, happily, isn't it? It's, it's not a, a virtue. 
Nobody has ever written a book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Being a Follower. No one has ever written a book or done a series of lessons on developing the follower within you. And yet being a good follower is what discipleship is all about. Our brother in the 915 says, leave and follow me. And if we don't know how to follow, we don't know how to be a disciple. What kind of promises do followers make God's leaders? First of all, I want you to notice in this text, the skill of following begins with an appreciation of leaders. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord. This word respect means to acknowledge and honor the role that God has given them. And whenever a nation or a city or a family or a church does not respect the leadership, the authority that God has placed among them, chaos will be brought in to where peace is where God wants there to be peace. It's been this way right from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Whenever God's roles of authority are not respected, chaos enters in where God desires peace. But notice this command, my friends, is denoted... Oh, let me rephrase that. Notice this command, my brothers and sisters, is directed to the family. He says, brothers... We ask you to respect those who labor among you. We're dealing with family here. This is a family issue. And for this family, elders are to be respected. Unfortunately, we often show the least respect to the leaders we know the best. Isn't that true? The ones we, are, we know the best, we often respect the least. That's unfortunate. It's not to our benefit. But notice also this command is to be obeyed, verse 13, because of their work. Respect them because of their work. If we truly want the work of God to be done in us and through us and in this community, we're going to learn to respect and acknowledge and honor the roles of leadership that God has put in His church. It helps the work go well. But then notice the command, verse 13. The command is not just to respect, but to esteem them very highly and to do so in love. Have you ever thought about your responsibility to love the shepherds? To say, I love those men. Not just I respect the role God has given, Not just I hold them highly in high esteem, but I love those men. I want the best for those men. I love those men for who they are, what they do, and what God does among them. I'll tell you, I have been in churches that have a kind of culture about them that believes that the way that you make leadership better is by criticizing them and being skeptical of them and just trying to find every fault you can because this is the mindset. If we criticize elders and leaders all the time, we will make sure they're the best men they can be. What ends up happening in those churches is you end up not having elders. And you have preachers that are short-lived because they just can't handle being there very long. 
But I've been in some churches that developed a biblical culture about them. When, when I'm visiting for a gospel meeting, they'll say things like this. Oh, we sure love our elders here. We pray for our elders all the time. Oh, God, we're so thankful for our elders. Love a preacher, the effort he's putting in, the teaching, we've learned so much. And I tell you, those churches have an environment in where people can grow in Christ and people can come to know the Lord himself. I don't know why we tend to think that constant criticism and suspicion is going to make leaders better. It doesn't work in our families. Try to be constantly critical and suspicious of your kids. Does it make them better? It doesn't work in the school. It doesn't work in your business to be a constant critic. Perhaps, though, I believe that one of the greatest barriers we have to saying this to our leaders, I value you, is because in our culture, we do not want anybody to be over us. And our own pride keeps us from admitting that somebody is actually over me. In our arrogant, pride-filled world, when somebody is over us, we feel like we got to tear them down so that we can be right even with them, or probably right over the top of them. But we must rid ourselves of that kind of pride in the church. It has no place. Paul clearly says that these servants are over us in the Lord. And we must learn to accept their role that God has given them, not as dictators, but as teachers and examples and encouragers and admonishers. And as they follow the Lord, then we must follow them. This is where it begins in Scripture. The, being a good follower starts in the heart. Being a good follower starts in the heart. It's an internal decision to say, I will respect and honor and acknowledge the role that God has given these men in the church. And in fact, I'll tell you what, I'm even going to love them. I'm going to love them. A well-placed word of love and appreciation and support is something that can create great faithfulness and productivity in, in elders. So our first command is to respect, esteem very high, and love them. I will value you. Do your elders know that you value them? Scripture says you ought to, they ought to know that. Secondly, this appreciative heart opens up our ears. That's why the first point is so important, my friends. If we don't respect and acknowledge and honor and even love our elders, we will not have open ears to what they want us to do. And so notice I'm now in Hebrews 13. So keep your finger there in 1 Thessalonians. Turn with me over to, first the, to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And notice in Hebrews 13, he says in verse 7, 17, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. This heart of submission leads to a willingness to listen and obey. And the context of this command reveals the necessity of this responsibility. 
Because he says in verse 9 that some of the believers are being led away by diverse and strange teachings. And so the church needed to have a heart that was willing to be submissive to their leaders so that their ears would be open to their leaders' instructions so that the people would not be led astray in diverse teachings and strange teachings. And so this call to listen to leaders was for the good of the souls of God's church. Have you ever wondered why elders sometimes say something to you about your attitude? They should sometimes, when our attitude gets wrong, an elder should say something to us. Or maybe they say something to you about your attendance. Or maybe they say something to you about some of the decisions that you're making in your life. Or maybe they make some decisions for the good of this church here. Why do shepherds do all of that? Verse 17 says they do it because they are watching for your souls. That's why they're doing it. And so when you listen to it, and you respond not with defensiveness, not with throwing blame back, but you listen with a heart that understands that they're only doing what is good for you, and so you respond in love by opening your ears and listening to it, it just might make the difference between heaven and hell on the day of judgment. That's why it's important. So we have hearts that respect. We have ears that are open and willing to listen. I wanted to read from Jeremiah the prophet. He spoke to the people of God just years before they were drug away in judgment because of their sin. And he identifies one of the reasons why they were going to be separated from God and experience His judgment. And here it is, Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 25, I'm going to read from verse 4. Jeremiah 25, verse 4, Jeremiah says, You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent you all of His servants, the prophets. You see, God sent His leaders among His people so that they may say things, and when the people closed their ears to those things, they were sealing their own judgment. Conversely, it is exhilarating when God's leaders communicate God's ways and apply God's ways to our lives and the church responds by saying, that's good. I hear you. I'm not just quick here to be something that I'm going to say, well, what about this? And what about that? Yeah, but this. And yeah, but that. Why not just have a heart that's willing, as, as the Hebrew writer says, to be submissive and to open our ears to the words of our leaders? And then when we've opened our ears, the Scripture goes a little further and says, then do something with it. Follow it. Having heard what a leader has said and seen what a leader has done, it is to impact the way we live our lives. In other words, as I said, shepherds do not live a different form of discipleship than the rest of us. We sometimes think, oh, well, sure, they should, they should be at every service. They're, they're elders, right? Why are they there? 
They're there to be an example. They're there because they love the Lord and they want to grow in His ways. But they're there also to be an example of what we are all to do. And as we wait, see the way they live their life, and we see the good things they do for the Lord, we're to imitate those. Again, I'm reading Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7 this time. Notice 13 verse 7. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In a local church, God wants leaders who value the Lord and His ways to set an example for us to follow. And so we don't just listen to what they say and the decisions they make. We look at their life and we seek to imitate them as they imitate the Lord. The fact is, here in Hebrews chapter 13, Evidently, there were some Christians who were making it hard for God's leaders to lead. He says there in verse 17, doesn't he? He says, they are keeping watch over your souls, but let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would not be of advantage to you. In other words, it's very possible in some places for leadership to be a groaning experience. Oh, no. You ever think of a, a leader saying, oh no, i got to go to church today? Sometimes members make it feel that way. And Paul, uh, the Hebrew writer, says, don't do that. You behave towards leaders in the way that it makes it a joy for them to do their work and not a burden. And practically what this means is that over the next few months and next few years, the shepherds of this church are going to ask this church to be involved in some things. They're going to say, hey, we're having a gospel meeting. We're bringing in an, this expert on creation and evolution. He's going to be here in just a couple of weeks. And, and we're really asking you to come and be a part of it. And we go, eh, eh, eh. Oh, that was Greek, by the way, if you didn't pick up on all that. And the Hebrew writer is saying, you know, that's what makes being a leader a groan for some people. Is because the way they respond, they're not responding, as he says, realizing that they are keeping watch over your souls. So there's going to be opportunities that our elders are going to ask us to participate in. There's going to be things where they say, you know, there is somebody who's sick and in need. Can we get somebody to help with this? They're going to say, hey, we need somebody to help teach this Bible class. Would anybody like to do this? You know, here's this new Christian. They really need some encouragement over here. What can we, can anybody please help in doing this? And if we are going to be the followers we need to be, we're going to be responding by saying, I would love to participate in that. I'm going to be the first one in line to help with that. Please let me be a part of it. And my friends, just imagine what God's church is like when it functions the way God has created it to function. Where elders and leaders are not trying to drag people, but where people, as the Hebrew writer says, are making their work a joy because of the way they're responding to it. And let me deal with the negative part for a second, okay? There's going to be times, I know it's not respected in our culture, I get it, but there's going to be times when elders, because of their knowledge of the Lord and their wisdom of years, are going to come to you and they're going to say, you know, your attitude's just not right. And some of the decisions that you're making are not good. 
And it is not to our advantage to say, who are you to say something to me? Look at you. You're not perfect. Yeah, not. We're just trying to penitently, humbly serve the Lord. We want you to as well. They're keeping watch over your souls. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. I will follow you. But you know, leaders like the rest of us need help too. Believers are not to follow blindly. Followers don't just follow leaders because that's their role. Leaders need to be held accountable for what they teach and how they live. And this is good for a, te- this is good for a leader, and it's good for the church. And this is something Paul writes about in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 5 right now. I'm in verse 19, where Paul says, Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they may rest, so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, first of all, notice that this section begins with regulating the church's words about their shepherds. It says, when it comes to a shepherd, you don't be quick to criticize, condemn, and share that condemnation with everybody else. He says, in fact, when that happens, you don't listen to it, Timothy. You don't even admit a charge unless it comes with multiple people saying the same thing. And that happens in a local church. In a local church, you know, it's what we do in this country. Here's a leader. What a leader means is that we've just put a target on his back, which means we get to sit here in our chairs and criticize and condemn. Be skeptical. But he's saying that in a local church, that should not be the case. You don't even admit such a thing. You don't even allow such a thing to be said unless it's become just so evident to everybody. And so when somebody starts complaining about the personality and the decisions of an elder to you, you stop them and say, hold on, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. Unless there's genuinely a sin going on here, we can maybe talk about it, but I'm not going to sit here and listen to a bunch of gossip. That's what Timothy was told to do by by Paul. You don't even admit it. You don't let it in. But now there's going to be times, Paul says, in which an elder is sinning, and it's willful sin. And not only you see it, but other people see it. And then what you need to do is you need to confront that shepherd with it, give him an opportunity to admit it and correct it and repent. But if he will not, the text says, if he will not, then expose the sin to the congregation so that all the congregation will know that sin doesn't belong in the people of God. But let me, give me, let me give us a little bit of practical advice about how to hold our leaders accountable. If we really want to be helpful to our leaders, one of the best things we can do is to become a sympathetic friend to our leaders. That's the best way to do it. The best way to help your leaders is not by throwing rocks. It's by respecting them holding them high in esteem, and loving them to the point that you become their friend, and then you can help change them. I think about how Abigail did this for David. You remember David 
was going to become king of Israel, and yet here he was behaving towards Nabal, Abigail's wife, uh, Abigail's husband, in a very harsh way. He wanted to kill Nabal for not giving him a tip for dinner. And he's not acting right. He doesn't have the right attitude. He's not behaving correctly. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, comes to this leader, David. And she doesn't come throwing rocks or putting his finger, her finger right in his face and saying, you're a bad person. No. She comes and brings him cakes. She brings him a great meal. And then she expresses to him, I know that God is going to make you a great king and a great leader. And after having expressed her affection and her respect for him, she says, and your attitude towards my husband just isn't right. And your behavior is going to condemn you. And David listened to her. And it made all the difference. If we want to be helpful to holding our leaders accountable, one of the best ways we can be to do it is to drop the rocks holding in our hands and choose rather to be a sympathetic ally to leadership. I'll say, make one more point about that at the very end. But lastly, let me say that one respons- another responsibility we have for our leaders is to pray for them. You know, sometimes leaders need our help, but all the time our leaders need God's help. And that's why we pray for them. They need God's help. And so in Hebrews chapter 13, I I noticed that after all of these uh, commands about leaders, it says in verse 18, verse 17 was the obey your leaders. And verse 18 is pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And I think that describes most leaders. They want to act honorably in all things. They really want to do what's right. And when you have somebody like that, you need to pray for them. That God will guide them, give them wisdom, and strengthen them. Godly leaders are praying for you, and you need to respond in the same way. Well, let me turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5, where we began. 1 Thessalonians 5. And as you're turning back there, I want to point out the reason a church should have the right attitude towards their leaders. They ought to value them according to Scripture. They ought to listen to them according to Scripture. They ought to obey them and imitate them according to Scripture. They ought to support and keep them accountable according to Scripture. And they need to pray for them. Now when we're doing that, Notice the result that happens among the people of God. Peace is something that reigns among God's people. You know, it's no doubt that the kingdom of God needs better leaders. It re- churches all over need better leaders. There's no doubt. But you know what I'm what I think is equally as important is that we need local churches that know how to be good followers. And that's just as big a need. If we're going to restore the New Testament pattern of what God's church is organized like, it's going to take both of those. 
But let me end with what I believe is the best example in the New Testament of a great follower. This was a man who, because he was such a good follower, every leader around him was made better. His name is Joseph. We learn about him in Acts chapter 4. He's a part of the church, and there are some members in the church that have a need, and he goes out and he sells some property, and he brings the money to the apostles' feet in order to help meet that need. Later on, he becomes an ardent teacher of God's Word in another city called Antioch. And the text says, and this is really what I want to point out, from, Hebrew, uh, from Acts chapter 4, you, most of you know who I'm talking about. In Acts chapter 4, it says in verse 36, this Joseph was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Who called, Barnab- who called Joseph Barnabas? The apostles did. I want to suggest to you that Barnabas was a great follower And it's what made those leaders say, thank you for being who you are. Your name for us is Barnabas. Barnabas was the inside name for the apostles for that man named Joseph. And if you want to be a great support for the people of God, whether it be like these apostles or like Barnabas was for John Mark or whether it was like he was for for Paul, be the kind of person who loves the people of God and will serve them at every moment. Be the kind of person who is willing to teach God's Word and share it with everybody who will listen. In other words, be a faithful, loving child of God, an active, helpful part of a local church. And that's one of the best things we can do to respond to godly leadership. And you know what that does? Is that makes our leaders better. There's a lot of churches that say, boy, we sure need better leaders. And what's interesting to me is they never turn to themselves and say, I wonder if I'm part of the problem. Maybe I haven't been obeying the Scripture of how I'd be a follower. Now here's the great thing. What we're learning in a local church about valuing and listening and following the role of elders in this local church is simply a proving ground for our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the leader. He is the chief shepherd of all the under-shepherds. He is the master, and we are all servants. And when we learn in this environment to respect and listen and follow, we learn how to do that with Him even better. That's the goal. And if you're here this morning and you need to compete, Commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and say this morning that I am going to value Him. I am going to listen to Him. I'm going to obey Him because that's the only means by which He has provided for us to be with Him in eternity. And so I pray today, if you're not in the right relationship with the Lord Jesus, won't you come, listen to what He has to say. I am the Lord, the Son of God, who's died for your sins, and if you will believe in me and repent and put on Jesus, put me on in baptism, then I will save you. I will take away your sins. If you need to do that this morning, we're going to sing the song. You can come as we stand and sing.